0: Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, what's going on Church by the Glades? Hey, so glad you are here today. For those that do not know, my name is Nick. I am the student pastor here at CBG. And I truly think that there is nothing better you could be doing with your time on such a beautiful weekend. Man, make some noise because you made it to church. Yeah, there's no better place to be than the house of God to be inspired and challenged and lifted up and then sent out to begin your week. I really believe that with my whole heart. I know I'm a little biased, but I believe that it's true. And, and before we continue, let me just stop for a moment and, and let you know about the best thing happening in the Tri-County area next weekend. Of course, I am talking about spectacular. Listen. Hear me, as a parent of two small children, I cannot express the importance of an event like this. It is so much fun, your kids will love it. It's kid and costume friendly, by the way. It's not scary by any means. It's high energy, it's creative, it's fun. And then we have an entire trunk or treat experience where they're gonna get to use their costume before Halloween multiple times, they get more candy. There's no reason that you shouldn't come to Spooktacular. Better yet, there's no reason you shouldn't come with everybody in your neighborhood to Spooktacular so don't miss it I promise you you will regret it and like the announcement people said the the theme for this year's Spooktacular is the Addams Family and and if you've ever seen the Addams Family you know that that's a weird family so rightfully so we are calling it my weird family and what I'd like to do this week is I'd like to give you a little bit of a preview as to what's to come so this weekend here at Church by the Glades I'd like to talk about family and, and maybe you come from a fairly functional family or, or maybe you tensed up a little bit when I said we're going to talk about family because you come from a wonderfully weird family. But what I've come to understand is that uh, all of us have a degree of dysfunction in our families because all of our families are made up of flawed individuals. So whether you come from a great family unit or nots, we all have some dysfunction that needs defining and then addressing if we wanna see God's best for our families. And I don't know if you ever noticed this, maybe it's just me, but isn't it true that the weird that specifically is, is referring to our families, doesn't, isn't it true that the weird tends to like spread a little bit? Like, it's like a bad flu or a stomach bug. It never stays at its source, but it kinda just gets passed on to other people around your family. Well, One of the many reasons that I love the Bible, among the many reasons that I love the Bible, is that the Bible is not irrelevant to my personal life. The Bible is remarkably relatable. It doesn't just give us the tools that we need to operate well within the family unit, but it also details the lives of very messy people and very messy families that serve as cautionary tales and examples of what not to do in our families. You see, the Bible is not a book filled with perfect people. The Bible is a book that is filled with dysfunctional people that have then been redeemed and used by a perfect God. So from the very outset of this sermon, here's what I need you to understand. Just because you may come from a dysfunctional family does not mean dysfunction has to be your story. If you come from a messy family, that does not have to limit who you are and what you do in your, in your present, even in your future. The main thing I need you to understand for the entire time we have together today is this. It might run in your family, but it doesn't have to run in you. All right, hold up. Pause, pump the brakes, pastor. Uh, I I, I like what you're doing. I I appreciate the sentiment. Thank you for that. But who are you to be talking about dysfunctional families? Aren't you like barely 20? Aren't you a pastor? So like your life probably has been perfect up until this point. So who are you? I get it. I do. I get it. Uh, I'm not even upset at you for thinking that. I am a young man. I'm 29 years old. But trust me. I know a thing or two about dysfunctional families. Allow me to give you my resume before we continue. I come from a Cuban family. Enough said, hello. (laughs) Honest question, have you ever met a normal Cuban? (laughs) Because I haven't, I'm in a family full of them. We're loud, we're opinionated, we we only know one gear, it's a hundred, we're crazy. And then to make matters worse, I wasn't just raised in a Cuban home, I was raised by a Cuban single mother who was loud and opinionated and knew one gear, it was a hundred, and she was crazy. And listen, she had to be. She was raising a young man all by herself, and and I think she did a pretty good job, hello. Um, (laughs) Stop. And then on my dad's side of the equation, I am one of six siblings, five of us having different mothers. I know. And here's the crazy part. They're all Cuban, so they're all crazy. Yeah, listen, my, my family lives quite a bit of a telenovela. It's kind of fun. Um, but don't hear me wrong. I love my family. They're, we have a great relationship. I cherish them dearly. But the truth is, we're a little weird. We're a little weird. So, so hear it from me. As a married man that has two children of the same woman. I had to say it. <laughs> It might run in your family, but it doesn't have to run in you. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to spend the rest of our time together proving this very truth to you. And to do so, I'd like to show you an example of a a very beautiful, a very powerful, a very godly, and a very messy family. So if you would, turn with me in the Bible to the book of Genesis. We'll we'll be all over the book of Genesis today. It should be fairly easy to find. It's the very first book in your Bible. But despite us being all over the book of Genesis, let's say we'll land in chapter 50. We'll land in Genesis chapter 50. So turn with me there, uh, and we'll use the book of Genesis to study a very famous family, the family of a man named Joseph, uh, Joseph, his family so famous because his is the family that God uses to establish the nation of Israel. Maybe you've heard God referred to as this before, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is one of God's many titles, but this title specifically speaks to the three men that are kind of like the founding fathers of the nation of Israel. But they're also the three men that are the great-grandfather, grandfather, and father, respectively, of this man named Joseph. And despite being the family through whom the, 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 fa- the family of faith was birthed, they are still incredibly messy. Let me show you what I'm talking about. We're gonna start with Abraham, the, the founding father, if you will, of the faith, Abraham. Abraham, uh, he was a married man. His wife's name was Sarah. And despite having a, a fairly good marriage, they had their quirks. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Genesis chapter 12, verse number 10. Look at what it says. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they're gonna kill me, but they're gonna let you live. Verse 13, look at what it says. So here's what you're gonna do. Say you are my sister. What? Say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because Abraham told his wife to call herself his sister. That's weird. That's not normal, okay? Uh, uh, Fellas, we're supposed to protect our wives. We're supposed to stand up for our women. But Abraham, he shrunk back in fear uh, because he was worried about his own life. He was selfish. And and he put his wife in a really weird position. And remember how I said the the weird tends to like spread a little bit? Well, let's go down a generation, Uh, Abraham's son, Isaac. Let's look at what Isaac does when he's faced with an almost identical situation. This time, Genesis chapter 26, verse number seven, look at what it says. When the men of that place asked him, being Isaac, about his wife, he said, she is my again, because he was afraid to say she is my wife, he thought. The men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, my wife, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech the king of the Philistines looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife Rebekah. Heyo. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, "She really is your wife. Why did you say she is my sister?" Great question, Abimelech. Why did he say that? Cuz by this point, Abraham his father was already dead. So it's not like he could have called him up and 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 asked, "Hey, I'm going through this situation like what do I do? I don't know what to do here." so, so how did he get this idea? Well, My best guess is that much like most of us do when when we hang out with uh, prior generations, we'll we'll sit around the table and and maybe Isaac was like, hey dad, uh, can you share some stories with me about your past, like some stories that you've never told me before? And and Abraham was like, oh boy, have I got one for you right now. Um, and, And maybe Isaac was like, you said she was your sister? Are you crazy? But then when he was faced with an identical situation, maybe he thought well my dad did it so it must be a viable option for me to do as well and then Isaac He had some sons after that. He had twin boys, the Bible says, the the older twin being Esau, the younger twin being Jacob. And and in ancient Israel, there was this tradition that the oldest son, the firstborn son, received something called the birthright and the blessing. The birthright and the blessing. They essentially dealt with the portion of the inheritance and, and, and the encouragement or positive pronouncements over your future that were specifically reserved for the firstborn son. So at one point in time, Isaac, he's having a conversation with his eldest, Esau, about the blessing that was rightfully his. Look at how this dysfunction continues. Genesis chapter 27, the very next chapter, verse number five, look at what it says. Now, Rebekah, Isaac's wife, was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son Jacob, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Verse 14, (coughs) excuse me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goatskin. Why? Because uh, Esau, he was a really hairy dude. And Isaac's eyesight wasn't so great. So to complete the deception, they needed to make it look like Jacob was actually Esau. So they put clothes on that were not his. They put on fake hair so that uh, that Isaac would think Jacob was actually Esau, someone who he was not. That's messy. That's weird. That's dysfunctional. Jacob pretended to be someone he was not to deceive his father into receiving something that was not rightfully his. It's weird. And now we finally made it to Joseph. The the, the family line of Joseph is messy and weird, but Jacob... He had 12 sons, the youngest and the favorite of them being Joseph. And for this, his older brothers hated him. They didn't like the favorite. They didn't like the youngest. So they hated him for this reason. Um, And then the youngest, Joseph, he has this dream one day. And, And the dream basically indicated that his older brothers would bend the knee and bow down to him one day in the future. Now, I don't know if you have any younger siblings. But if your younger sibling came up to you and said, hey... God told me that you're gonna bow down to me one day. (laughs) You're gonna punch him in the face, aren't you? Yeah, like you don't. You're not gonna. So this sent them over the edge. They were done. Look, Look at how this plays out. Genesis chapter 37, verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but but they saw him in the distance, and before Joseph had reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, "Come now, let's kill him." and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal has devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And thankfully, the oldest brother, Reuben, he had some morals about him and said, hey, maybe we shouldn't kill our brother, that's kinda of messed up, so maybe we just like, throw him in this cistern and like, we'll come back for him at another time. And the middle brothers were like, nah, that's too soft. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna throw him in the cistern and then we're gonna sell him into slavery. And we're gonna sell him into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. Modern day currency, a couple hundred dollars. They sold their youngest brother into slavery for a couple hundred dollars. And then this deception, this this sin that they had perpetuated, now they had to lie even more to keep it up because when they got home, uh, Jacob was gonna be like, hey, where's Joseph? So they had to come up with a, a plan to make him believe that he was dead. So look at what they did, verse number 31. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal must have devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Do you recognize the pattern? Abraham lied. His son Isaac lied. His wife Rebecca. lied lied their son jacob lied his 11 sons joseph's older brothers lied and and almost murdered their brother and then sold him into slavery i i mean that is so incredibly messy. And, and what we tend to do is we tend to read these, these biblical stories as isolated events. But when you, you know, zoom out and look at the bigger picture in its full context, it's almost as if this family kept passing down dysfunctional patterns from generation to generation to generation. And maybe your family's the same way. Maybe all your family has ever known is poverty. Maybe addiction runs deep in your family. Maybe divorce is a common practice in your family. Maybe maybe mental health seems to always make its mark on your family. I don't know what it is for you but maybe you're wondering why. Why does this happen? Why did Abraham's family keep passing down dysfunction? Was Abraham's family cursed? Is my family cursed? Well, not quite. You see, here at Church by the Glades, we don't believe in generational curses. Uh, We believe that the scripture is very clear, that God does not hold children accountable for the sin of past generations. So, yeah, you can put your hands together for that. That's good news. That's really good news. But if it's not a curse, then why do these repetition of sinful patterns continue to get passed down from generation to generation. Well, if you look at Joseph's family as a case study, I believe the primary reason that this happens is because in most cases, what gets modeled gets repeated. What gets modeled gets repeated. And I think the people group that understand this the best are parents. Um, Right now, I've already told you I have two kids, but my oldest, is my son, his name is Avery. Uh, and, and Avery, he's at a really fun age right now. He's, he's at that age where he's copying everything and he's become like a little parrot. He's like two and a half years old. Um, and, and I don't know if you have a toddler, but if you've ever had one or have one right now, you know this, they can be psycho. Um, so there are moments where we like really need to get his attention. Where there are moments where we're really like, hey, uh, we need you to buckle down fella. We need you to like, we mean business. Okay. So when, when that time comes, we, we say his name, uh, but like, we say it like this, we say his first name and his middle name to get his attention. We, we say his first name and his middle name. Now, if your parents ever call you by your full name, you know, it's time to straighten up. My mom would be like, "Nicolás de la Ferredo, ven aquí ahora! I'd be like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. Um, so when we need Avery's attention, we're, we're like Avery Nicholas, come here. Avery Nicholas, stop doing what you're doing. And one day, um, my wife was cleaning up his play area where all of his toys were, and, and apparently she had put something away that he was not quite done playing with yet. And he got so frustrated with mommy, he got so upset with mommy that all I could hear in the distance was this tiny little toddler voice scream at the top of his lungs with urgency and severity, Mommy Nicholas! Because what gets modeled gets repeated. Parents, what gets modeled gets repeated. Leader and business owner, what gets modeled gets repeated. And this is true for anything, whether it's good or bad, whether it's minuscule or it's major. It could be something as trivial as the, that you grew up in a home that did not have pets. So, so now you don't want pets in your home. That's not good or bad. That's just nurture. That's, how you were, that's what was modeled to you. Or it can be something much more impactful on a, on a day-to-day basis in your own life. Maybe your, your mom cussed like a sailor, so now you've indoctrinated that vernacular into your vocabulary. Maybe you witnessed your parents go through hardships and avoid each other, so now avoidance is your primary response. Maybe you watched your uncle reach for the bottle when when things got tough, so now when you are under pressure, self-medication is your default setting. Maybe your sister was always so negative, so now pessimism is your mentality. Maybe... Your grandparents always discussed how marriage wasn't worth the difficulties, so now, when things get difficult, you tend to quit, or maybe you don't even wanna get married to begin with. I don't know what it is for you, but I don't think the reason that these things keep repeating is because you or your family is cursed. Maybe they continue to repeat because it's all you've ever known. And now it's become normalized in your family. You see, what is normal to you now was first modeled to you then. What is normal to you now was first modeled to you then. In other words, the the, the 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 repetition of certain dysfunction that we see in our lives is oftentimes the result of an indoctrination of sinful patterns that we pick up and then model across generations. But but here's why you came to church today. I need you to get this because this is so important. Just because someone modeled those patterns does not mean you need to maintain those patterns. You don't have to, you don't have to be doomed to repeat certain cycles of dysfunction and you don't have to, to live being held back by what happened to you. I I say all of this because I need us to get to a common ground of understanding that the reason you repeat certain dysfunctional cycles of sin in your life is not just because it was modeled to you, but because they have been adopted by you. I don't mean to say that what you went through wasn't bad, because it probably was, and and you didn't deserve that. But all I am trying to say is, is that just because it was bad does not mean you need to live bound by what happened. I think it would serve us well to understand the difference between events and decisions. Events and decisions, traffic, that's an event. Consistently showing up late to work every day, that's a decision. Talking about there was traffic, you know better than to take I-95 at 9 a.m., what's wrong with you? And you better not show up late with Starbucks in your hand. Talking about there was traffic, yeah, in the drive-through. Stop that. Downloading TikTok, that's an event. Scrolling aimlessly for hours when you should be doing something productive, that's a decision. You see what I'm saying? So what I'm trying to get at is, we have to come to a point in our life where we stop blaming the events for why we are the way we are and start taking some personal ownership and accountability for the decisions we have made that have perpetuated our circumstances. (laughs) The event was a thing, but you have made a decision that has made it stir along. And our problem is, we, we take the bad things that have happened to us and, and we allow it to define us and dictate how we live our lives. You see, it's so much easier to, to blame the person that passed it down to you than it is to have the self-awareness to admit that we have adopted the behavior. It's so much easier to blame the person that hurts you than it is to address your unforgiveness. The offense, that's the event but the unforgiveness you've been harboring, that's a decision. The, 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 the model that you were shown, that's the event, but you repeating it, that's a decision. I can tell by your faces you're upset with me. J- don't shoot the messenger, it's not me. I- I've got scripture for this. This is God's word, not mine, okay? Let me show you what I mean, because God addresses this. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse number two. Look at what he says about this. Uh, This is God speaking. What do you mean? What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? Look at the proverb that they quoted all the time. The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, what these people of Israel were saying was, I am the way I am because of what they did to me. I am the way I am because of what they showed me. I am the way I am because of how they treated me. I am the way I am because of how they broke my heart. I am who I am. I'm living in the consequences of what past generations have done. And look at what God says. Look at how he addresses this. Verse number three, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child, both alike belong to me. Look at this, don't miss it. The one who sins. Is the one who will die in other words in other words what you do is on you it's on you and 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 hear me the events they are real the events that have happened to you are real but embedded within every event you face is a decision you must make And God will not hold you accountable for the event. He won't hold you accountable for what happened to you. He won't hold you accountable for the model that was given to you, but God will hold you accountable for how you respond. And how you respond can have life-altering consequences. You can become bitter or you can be blessed. You You can repeat the model or you can redeem the model. You can stay stuck in your pain or your pain can have purpose. You don't have to live subject to the event. You don't have to let the events win. You can decide to grow from it. You can decide to learn from it. You can decide to heal from it. You can decide to use the events to inspire other people to do the very same thing. What I'm trying to say is that the events don't define you. Your decisions are what define you. It's what you do that determines the type of person that you are. The event is irrelevant at defining the type of person you are and who you will become. It's what you do after the event. It's what you do after the divorce. What you do after the diagnosis. What you do after the abandonment. What you do after they broke your heart. That's what truly matters. That's what matters. And this begs the question, well, what did our boy Joseph do? Because he went through some events like some some big events and I don't have enough time to to tell the whole story of Joseph so I'm gonna give you like a brief one minute synopsis but Pastor Charlie our our young adults pastor our rally pastor he actually told me he's gonna be preaching on Joseph this Friday at rally so if you want to hear the full story of Joseph come to rally this Friday but let me give you like a a one minute synopsis because it's so long and it's so good well You remember he got thrown in the pit by his brothers and then he got sold into slavery by his brothers and and his slave owner, his name was Potiphar. And and Potiphar threw him in prison because his wife, Potiphar's wife, wrongfully accused Joseph of inappropriately coming onto, onto her. So he got thrown into prison for something he did not do. And, and it was while he was in prison that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he had this dream, and and he had heard that Joseph could interpret dreams, and he could. So, so, so Pharaoh called Joseph out of the prison to come and interpret this dream for him. And essentially, what this dream meant was that there was going to be a seven-year famine in the land of Egypt. And and it was during this famine that that they were going to have to you know distribute food. So what they needed to do during the harvest they were in currently was set food aside so that for the duration of the famine they would have food for their country and food for the neighboring countries and that's exactly what they did and that's exactly what happened so because of this Pharaoh elevated Joseph he pulled him out of prison and elevated him to second-in-command of all of Egypt and the crazy part is then neighboring countries didn't prepare like Egypt did so they started to come to Egypt to buy food for their own countries and the craziest part is that Joseph's own brothers came to Egypt and, and they begged and pleaded for mercy at the feet of Joseph without knowing it was even him. Just like the dream said it would. And then Joseph reveals himself to them. Hey, remember me? I'm your brother Joseph. You probably don't remember. It was decades ago you threw me away. It was decades ago. And they all wept together. But then they, they started to fear for their life because they thought that their youngest brother Joseph was going to retaliate. That he was going to get revenge on them. And... and and honestly, it wouldn't have been wrong for him to maybe do that because they had put him through so much crap. They had done so many different things to him. They had put him through this chain of events that led him to where he was. He could have just blamed them for everything he went through. He could have blamed them for the pit, for the prison. He could have blamed them for being a slave. He could have blamed them for all of it. But look at Joseph's response. Genesis chapter 50, we're finally there. Look at what Joseph responds. Look at how he responds in the face of the chain of events that he went through. Genesis 50, verse number 20, look at what it says. You intended to harm me. So many people stop the sentence right there. We never move past that. Well, well, they're the ones that passed it down to me. They're the ones that showed me that website. They're the ones that broke my heart. They're the ones that abandoned me. How could they? No wonder I'm anxious. No wonder I can't keep a job. No wonder I don't trust people because they hurt me. So many of us are living limited lives simply because we've placed a period where God intended for there to be a comma. You intended to harm me. Comma but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Hear me, church, God does not cause the bad in your life. Oh, but God is so good that God can take the bad in your life, that God can take what you've been through, that God can take the patterns that have been passed down to you, and he can make it something beautiful. He can make it something purposeful. He can make it something that is good for you and that brings glory to him God can make something good out of the bad that you've been facing The, the chain of events that has led you to where you are right now you cannot change you cannot change the model that was given to you. You cannot change the pain that you've experienced. You cannot change the, the the bad things that have happened to you, but I believe you can make a decision that says, I will not let the chain of events dictate my future anymore. I'm gonna make a decision. I'm gonna draw a line in the sand, and I am gonna say this chain of events will not pass through me. This, this model that was given to me will not be modeled to future generations. I will not recycle dysfunction anymore. The chain will break with me. You can make a decision that says, I will break the chain for my family. I will break the chain for my children. I will break the chain for my grandchildren. I will break the chain for future generations. They will not have to deal with what I dealt with. The chain will break with me. And I think the power to break chains is found in your perspective. And Don't hear me wrong. I do think that your patterns have to change and your patterns of behavior obviously have not been working so something has to give, but I would argue that, that you cannot change your patterns if your perspective is not first shifted. The reason for this is because your perspective informs your patterns. What you do is determined by what you see. So, so if, if all you ever think is that nothing can get better in your life, then you are likely to act in such a way that is consistent with that thought process. But if you were to have the proper perspective, if you were to have a perspective that says, oh, I may be going through something bad, I may be going through something difficult, I may be struggling right now, I may be hurting right now, but I know my God has a purpose through all of it, then I believe you can have faith, I believe you can have joy, you can have peace, and you can still stand while things are crumbling around you. It starts with your perspective. And our boy Joseph, he had a chain-breaking perspective. Tech team, can I get Genesis 50 verse 20 back up on the screen? Look, look at his perspective. Look at what he says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. His perspective was one that says, no matter what happens to me, I think God has a purpose through all of it. You could boil his perspective down to two words, but God Oh, you don't hear me but God but God your chains can break with a but God perspective if you were to have a perspective that says you may have left me but God will never leave me you may have been untrustworthy but God can always be trusted you may have been unfaithful but God will always be faithful you may have called me a mistake but God says I was made on purpose. You may have harmed me, but God will never harm me. And you may have intended to hurt me, but God has a purpose and he will use it for good. Your chains can break with a butt, God. Oh man. And I believe God wants you to break the chain. And maybe you're thinking, Nick, that's so much pressure me to break the chain for my family all on me and you're right that is a lot of pressure you're, you're probably gonna do it alone you, you don't have a model that shows you how to do this you don't have a roadmap you're, you're, you're probably gonna face resistance and pushback because you're gonna do things differently and you're gonna put boundaries in place so that is a ton of pressure but what I've found is that chains cannot break if pressure is not applied Don't succumb to the pressure. You're just breaking chains. Don't do it alone. Jesus says that you can cast your burdens onto me. You can cast your anxieties and pressure onto me because I care for you. My shoulders are broad enough to help you lift the load, help you carry the pressure. So bring Jesus into your family. Bring Jesus into your home. Bring Jesus into your future. And in Jesus' name, break the chain. Father, we come before you right now. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a chain-breaking God. Lord, give us the boldness. Give us the courage to break the generational chains of dysfunction that have been passed down to us. Lord, you don't cause the bad, but you are good amidst the bad. So Lord, give us the strength we need to keep moving forward in faith today. We trust you with our future, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CB Glades at Pastor D. Hughes.